Hello and welcome to the United on Wheels podcast. How are you? I am Paul Amadeus Lane and I am so happy to be with you on our show today. We have a fantastic special guest that's going to give us his perspective on the Paralympic Games. And he's really an expert on this. Why? Because he's a former Paralympic champion, gold medalist. So we're going to hear a story and we're going to find out what it takes to be a Paralympic athlete and much, much more. So before we begin, I want to tell you about our amazing website, unitedspinal.org. It's a website, one-stop shop for all your needs out there. If you want to find out about our 75th anniversary, got you covered. Want to find out about our events coming up, got you covered. Want to find out how you can take action and partner with us, got you covered. Want to take the corporate challenge? Hey, do that. It talks about building an inclusive and diverse workforce together. Do that. And if you want to find out ways you can give and help us out, we got you covered too. This website is awesome. It is amazing. I visited a couple of times today because it's so nice and so awesome. And there's ways that you can enter a contest and win some cool prizes too. Yeah. So you don't want to miss that. Without any further delay, let's bring on our very, very special guest. I am so happy to have with me right now, former U.S. Paralympian, the great Seth McBride. Seth, what is up, bro? How are you? I'm doing well, Paul. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, so great to have you, Seth. Um, we wanted to to have you on for a number of reasons. Number one, you know, you're part of the United Spinal Association family, but also, you know, being a former Paralympian too, you know, you have a unique perspective uh, about the games and everything and what it takes to uh, to be a Paralympian and everything. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Yeah, of course. No problem. So, yeah. Seth, before we uh, talk about your Olympic journey and what led you to that, let's first find out a little more about you. Now, you were born in Alaska. And, Seth, did you spend a lot of time in Alaska or were you just born there? No, so I was actually... I was born in Seattle, but um, just for uh, about two months after I was born, my parents moved back up to Alaska um, in southeast Alaska, Juneau, Alaska. Um, so I spent basically my whole childhood there up until I went off to college um, and went back there every summer until about 2005, 2006, after I graduated college, um, I moved to Portland, Oregon. All right. All right. So... When you, what was life like growing up in, in Alaska now? Was that b- before your injury or after your injury? It was, most of it was before. So I got injured when I was 17 um, in a skiing accident. Um, when I was skiing down at Whistler, British Columbia in the summertime and uh, got in an accident doing backflips there. Um, and so I was in between my junior and senior year of high school when I got hurt. So most of the time growing up in Alaska was pre-injury. And Seth, was Alaska accessible? You know, how how did how were you able to navigate through that, you know, being a wheelchair user? Yeah, I mean, it's not easy for sure. Um, I would say that for the most part, the, the only real difficulties is wintertime because yeah. depending on the year, we get a lot of snow up there and it's usually pretty wet and sticky. So um, trying to get out of your car, push around the snow is always a pain. Um, 
especially when there's a lot of it. So that was one of the things I actually determined where I went to school is I was looking at whether to go to school in Oregon or in Montana. And I decided I couldn't handle any more snowy winters. So I went to school down in Oregon. Uh, otherwise, Alaska is actually not bad. Physical access and stuff. A lot of places are ramped. It isn't too bad. You know, spend a lot of time outside. So I needed some wide knobby mountain bike tires and whatnot to move around on the dirt. But other than that, it was pretty much just winter times that was the struggle. So you went on to be an Oregon duck. So, yeah. so, duck. so what was that like? Uh, life on campus as a, as a wheelchair and 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 Seth, if you can um, maybe let, let the audience know what's the level level of your injury? Yeah, so I'm a C seven eight quad. Um, basically, I've got you know weak hands, don't have much other than like some tenodesis grip, um, but fairly strong arms. So able to push around and whatnot, but uh, fairly minimal hand function. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for, for sharing that with us, Seth. And what, um, you know, what was life like on campus? I, Eugene was great. I had a blast there. I actually, I had uh, my best friend from Alaska. We ended up deciding to go to school at U of O independently of each other, but wound up there together. Um, so I had a good friend going down, which was nice. Um, my freshman year, I lived in a dorm on campus, an accessible dorm um, that was, it was a good setup. I mean, it was, you know, that was the first time I'd lived independently after uh, my accident. So it was a lot of getting used to figuring out how to do things on your own. But um you know, campus was great. I had a ton of really good friends down there who sort of willing to help me out with whatever I need and figure things out as we went. Um, so I really couldn't have asked for a better college experience. And Seth, how did you how did you adjust um, after post injury? Because I know I was injured when I was 22, and it took me a while to, to really get my focus and what I really wanted to do. And and Seth, did did you deal with similar uh, a similar mindset like that, or when you when you get injured, you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You mind sharing that with us? Yeah, I mean, no, I really didn't have any idea what I wanted to do when I got hurt. My only plan when I got hurt was to go to Lake Tahoe Community College so I could keep skiing. Uh, <laughs> and it kind of injury shot that out of the water a little bit, but you know. Growing up, I guess just my personality, growing up in Alaska, playing out around outside a lot, um, I was a really independent kid growing up. So that was my primary motivation after I got injured was just figuring out how to be independent, live independently again, still be able to sort of go outside and play and have fun. So I didn't know what I wanted to do as far as career or anything, but I had planned on going to college and it was sort of my goal. Um you know, in that one year after I got hurt to figure out what I needed to do to be able to still go off and do that. And, and yeah. Seth, what would you say was um, the most challenging part of, of being a wheelchair user? And, and how did you over overcome that challenge? Because you you live as, as a person who, who didn't have a disability for, for about 17 years. And then when you became a member of the disabled community, what were some of the challenges that that, that you saw, and, and how did you overcome some of those challenges? Because you are a determined, um, you are a focused person. So, you know, the challenges that you saw, how, how did you overcome that? I mean, there's, you know, like anybody who gets hurt, there's a lot of them. I think one of the, one of the hardest things for me was just 
figuring out how to how to learn how to be independent, how to you know take help when you need it, but also be able to struggle through things because you know when you get hurt, like I had to have a conversation with my parents about. <laughs> If I need help, I'll ask for it and don't give me help just because I look like I'm struggling, which was always, you know, otherwise, how am I going to learn how to do anything? And fortunately, they were super supportive and, you know, would sort of sit in the other room with their hands on the, under their butts while I was cussing, trying to get dressed or getting frustrated doing whatever. But they gave me the space to learn how to do things on my own. And I was always, you know, maybe being an athlete and growing up just a little bit self-motivated. So it was really about having the space to figure out how to do things on my own. And, you know, it always drove me nuts when I was at school or around other people. And, you know, they see a wheelchair user and people always assume you need some help. And, but how are you going to figure out how to do things on your own if you always have people helping you? So it was learning to speak up and tell people, no, I got it. I'm okay. Um, yeah. Because I was always a pretty quiet person. So figuring out how to speak up for myself a little bit and, you know, give myself the space to to learn. Yeah, I, I definitely get that definitely get that too. I, I think I went through that mindset as well. And then, you know, what what I started to do was, you know, I would I would always and you probably did this as well, Seth, you know, I would I would thank the person for having the humanity enough to to even even ask if I needed help. But I would look, no, 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 I got that because, you know, in, in this world we have we have, we have so so much negativity and and to to see someone show some humanity to just want to help someone out it was kind of refreshing you know to see something like that but but teaching them that balance like no no if we we need help we're going to ask but i appreciate you appreciate you offering and, and 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 i noticed that we have this new dynamic with ones who view us in the community now and, and they'll speak up now for us and no 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 he'll he'll let you know if you need help so so we were able to teach one you know how to how to react with with uh with our community so that so that we 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 appreciate but but we got it you know and we you know we, we're gonna we're gonna teach you how to you know how to how to work with us and uh and everything and if we need help trust me we're gonna let you know when you because there's some areas we do need help in and we're gonna definitely let you know that but i i definitely get you on that yeah, sure. Everything and what now led you, Seth, to start playing uh, wheelchair rugby? How did that come about? Yeah, so I was really just looking for something active to do. So I grew up, you know, um, playing team sports when I was younger through basically all the way through middle school playing, you know, football, basketball, soccer, whatever. Um, just about everything uh, during those early years. And then I started doing a lot more outdoor sports when I was in high school. So skiing, rock climbing, mountain biking, stuff like that. So was always an active kid and sort of defined myself by that. So after I got hurt, I was just looking for something active to do. I was super competitive. Um, so I've been hand cycling a little bit, but didn't really feel competitive with that and was looking for something, you know, where I could be competitive with the amount of function I have. And there really weren't that many options out there at that point. This was, you know, 2001, 2002. Um, so I was looking around online and came across the United States Quad Rugby Association webpage. And they had this highlight video um, that was from the gold medal game of the Sydney Paralympics. And it was just eye-opening. There was this guy, Steve Pate, in there who was flying around with his long blonde hair just 
crashing into people, knocking people over, looking super intense. He's actually one of my good friends now. Um, and, you know, there's 10,000 people in the stand screaming. And I was just like, wow, that looks pretty cool. So I started looking around and there was a local team um, just about an hour and a half up the road out of Portland and they actually practiced even closer to me. So um, I called the coach up and he told me to come out to practice. And that's the sort of short story of how I got hooked. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And then, then, then that parlayed into you, you know, really being a major, major athlete, you know, in, in the para Olympic world and also in the, in the wheelchair rugby world. And when did you know that 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 you would be a part of, or, or what did it take for you to be a part of the, the the national team and then the Paralympic team? You know, what did you have to do to, you know, to 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 get that opportunity? How did that come about? Yeah, I mean, really, it took me it took me a few years of playing, just playing, sort of playing recreationally and having fun with it, and otherwise being a you know a college student, so not really taking it that seriously. I was traveling a bit through school and just having fun. And then um, I went to a couple of national tournaments with the team and wasn't really playing that much, but saw what high level rugby looked like. And then sort of saw the amount of work that it took for guys to get to that level. Um, And I sort of, you know, playing a little bit and having talks with teammates, I sort of realized that I could maybe get to that level if I wanted to, but it was going to take a ton of work. And so the mindset shift from being a, just a recreational athlete to actually going and training on my own and working at it um, really brought me deeper into that world of top level athletics and, you know, was super rewarding. Um, So, you know, a couple of, maybe a year or two after I really started taking it seriously, there was a big, changeover in the u.s team um the athens team got bronze and that was a big disappointment if any of you have ever seen murder ball it was chronicled there um and there was quite a few guys that retired after that so in 2005 there was a developmental team um that i got invited to tryouts for and sort of got my foot in the door um on the u.s team that way now you are part of the the, the national team and uh, para being uh, invited to the Paralympics. What, what was what was that experience like? Uh, traveling and were was the Olympic Village? Uh, was it is it the same as uh, the Olympic Villages that that uh, athletes who are are, are non not disabled? Did is it, was it the same village and was a wheelchair accessible when you first went? You know, share that with us if you don't mind. Yeah, I mean traveling with. Rugby is an awesome experience, a great way, especially for guys who, you know, maybe have a little less function than me and have never, you know, can't necessarily travel internationally independently. It's awesome to be able to go and see, see the world with the sort of support you need to be able to go and see it. I always used rugby as a way to go see the world after our competitions were done. So like the first major competition I went to was in New Zealand and got to spend a month there. Um, after the fact traveling around with my sister and just had a blast seeing New Zealand and um, otherwise never would have made it. Cause I definitely didn't have any money for international plane tickets at that point. Um, so 
in addition to, you know, the sport, it's just a great way to sort of learn a lot of other things about life in a wheelchair. Um, and then, yeah, Paralympics is a whole different experience because like you said, we're in the same Olympic villages, you know, the, the traditional Olympics It what usually happens is Olympics happen. And then two, there's two weeks where they sort of change everything over and then Paralympics come into town and it's basically the same protocol for everything just with, um, para athletes, adaptive athletes. So it's, you know, same facilities, same sort of time schedules. Um, we went to Beijing and it was my first Paralympics and they were just super into it um the amount of people there who were you know cheering and helping and being a part of it it was a really eye-opening experience feeling like you're just part of something much bigger um than you and much bigger than the just your sport yeah yeah that's that, that had to be a pretty pretty amazing experience uh in in china and and just experiencing uh just the kind of a different environment and you talked about how ones are really into it and that that brings up another question you know it seems like here in the states that that we haven't caught on to how awesome you know these events are and seeing ones who have different challenges out there being able to being able to compete you know no matter uh where a person lives or what country is just to 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 celebrate you know these accomplishments right here and Seth, why, why do you why do you think that there seemed to be a disconnect here? Because uh, I know this past Paralympics um, that that was here that 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 just happened um, in uh, in Japan here in the United States, it wasn't a lot of a lot of coverage for us. You know, well, where do you watch these games? You know, how can we do it? Why why, why do you why do you think there's a disconnect there with uh, with with the the major sports media out there not really? using their platform to to highlight this instead they rather have shows where people argue um talk about you know nonsense who's the greatest football player basketball player instead of really focus on the the awesome athletes that come from from our community you know that's a really hard question and it's one a lot of people have been trying to crack for a long time i think um i think part of it is just how the media sports media media in general tends to operate in the u.s we you know with sports stories lots of times even on you know wheelchair sports or adaptive sports with the the media tends to focus on those sort of human interest stories and you know the things other than the actual sport and that only you know plays into stereotypes of disabilities and you know creates its own problems i think some of the countries that have the best appreciation for adaptive sports um that i've been to are like new zealand um you know we went there they had a super big rugby culture so us coming down was like just more rugby athletes um same thing with britain um when we went to the paralympics there they just had a appreciation for adaptive sport as sport first instead of focusing on um the disability part of it and i think that's that's what we're trying to get to in the u.s we're starting to see it a little bit better you know tokyo still wasn't anything compared to like the media coverage in london which was you know just fantastic when we were there it was that was really eye-opening but it's starting to get better this was the time we've able been, been able to see you know paralympic sport for 
every single day of the Paralympics and people can turn on their TV and tune it in and actually see people competing instead of just getting recap shows where they're focusing on, you know, how people got hurt and how inspiring it is for them to be back up and competing again. I think the biggest thing for growing adaptive sport viewership in the U.S. is just let people see the sport, let them focus on the competition, what, you know, what these athletes can do. Um, I think tide's slowly starting to change, but we still got a lot of work to do. And and I think too, uh, Seth, they need more of us in those positions that can make those decisions for these media companies. Because um, re- representation matters, you know. If you and I are sitting um, at one of these major networks and we're part of the the senior producing team, and we're like, "Hey, what should we show?" We're gonna be like, "Hey, you need to show the Paralympics." You know, you know, having our voice there matters because people think they know about us, but unless someone is there who is us, they they're not gonna understand the struggle. They're not gonna understand um, just the amazing abilities that we have in these sports and how these sports are enjoyable to watch uh, just as ones who are, who are non-wheelchair users, you know, adaptive sports is, is definitely, you know, going to take the, you know, the media by storm. If they just allow it to be shown and to see, you know, some great competition out there. And, and ones like yourself, Seth, having the experience of, of being a Paralympian and, and five-time gold, gold medalist. I mean, you know, your, your, your voice is like, you know, it's so important, you know, to get this going. And and you know what's going to happen, Seth? Uh, the major media, they're, they're going to miss the boat on this, you know. And you're going to have, like, other companies who are, are now streaming, who have these major platforms going to swoop in and say, hey, we got you. And then major media going to be like, oh, we should have, you know, we should Yeah, yeah. See, and that's what I love about the way technology is now. You know, all these streaming formats now, all these different um, companies out there. And some of us are in positions of power in these companies now. And, you know, we, we, we have each other's back. I mean, we are the most loyal consumers out there. 30%, you know, that's our community out there. We are, we are loyal. You know, we tell others about what's going on. So, so I think as we band together as, as a community, you know, we can make the change and we're going to we're going to be a force to reckon with. But I do appreciate some of the strides we made already. But with all the different channels out there, there's no reason why we can't have, you know, a 24 hour channel during the, the Paralympics, you know, showing showing all day long, you know, through the duration of of the competition. You know, that, that, just, that just baffles me, uh, Seth. Yeah, I mean, I think I will. I will give NBC props this year for finally bringing in some um, really high-level adaptive athletes to be commentators on the sport, which I felt like really made a difference in the TV broadcast they did have. They had people like, you know, Mark Zupan commentating rugby, um, Elena Nichols commentating um, basketball and rugby, some other, I believe Paul Schulte, who's a multi-time sort of Paralympic legend commentating basketball. So that did, you know, that didn't help, but I, I totally agree with your point that that needs to be a, um, a sort of 24, seven, 365 thing instead of just when the Paralympics are happening. If we actually get athletes, wheelchair users more behind the scenes, you can start getting a more authentic representation of what, um, adaptive sports actually are. Yeah, definitely. I, I know you have to have some experiences, uh, traveling abroad and being a, 
uh, part of the uh, part of the uh, Paralympic team. Uh, any cool stories you like to tell us about? You know, just the experience. I know you kind of touched a little bit about being in Beijing and also uh new zealand and things like that so what are some other stories you want to share with us because you know we kind of knows he has a community too so we want to know oh man um but i, I don't i don't want to get you in trouble with your family though, so. uh, <laughs> i mean some of the cool experiences i'm trying to think so um i've actually written about this one but i remember after beijing um so we had won the gold medal in beijing and then you know went out as a team to have a good night the the night after we won and my then girlfriend now wife was there with with my family and a whole bunch of friends and you know we had a big team party at a hotel and i ended up staying um staying at my girlfriend's hotel room that night and in the morning we had to go back i had to pack up some stuff and so i was taking a cab back from the hotel to the Paralympic village and on this huge skyscraper in Beijing, they had this screen that was probably about nine stories high in the width of the whole building that was uh, broadcasting our gold medal game on the TV. And I just sort of got to watch it as I was driving by in the cab and it was just a super surreal experience, you know, um, I had another one like that in New Zealand where we were all in the hotel bar after after the championship game and they were, you know, showing the showing the game on TV and just it's, you know, those kind of experiences with your team being able to celebrate, being able to see, you know, other people enjoying your sport and seeing it for what it is is just super rewarding. Um, you know, traveling with a team full of quads is always funny. I remember one time we were in uh, going through the airport in Paris after a qualifier for the Rio Paralympics. And there was a, they've got these long moving walkways to get anywhere. And we had this line of quads on a moving walkway. And all of a sudden at the end of it, it starts going up at a pretty steep hill. And, everybody sort of turned sideways and (laughs) then the guy right above for me starts slipping backwards and he just knocked me over sideways and we had a whole row of quads just go tumbling on the moving walkway they had to had to stop the thing and and it's all cleaned up it was a a mess that kind of stuff happens all the time when you get a group of quads together wow that's man those are memories man you're gonna cherish for you know for a long time and and congratulations on uh, expanding your family uh, as well. Uh, now, are, are you retired from, from competition now? Or are you, are you going to get back into it? No, I still play locally with my Portland team, um, but I I am officially retired from international play. It's, uh, you know, like any high-level sport, it just it wears on your body a bit, and it's one of those more than a full-time job kind of thing. So I had, you know, some other goals in my life starting a family, you know, having a career now. So definitely don't have time for international rugby anymore. Um, But I got to say, watching Paralympics, this was my first Paralympics since I started competing that I wasn't at. I was definitely jonesing for to be out there. But it was was cool being able to watch the guys and see how well they competed this year. That's cool. Where where, where you go, where you go medals at? I know I know you're at a different location now. Got your gold medals in the case or what? Yeah, they're sitting in cases in my office. Nice. 
Um, I've got yeah, I got one Paralympic gold medal, and we've got a a couple of world championship wins. Otherwise, a bronze and a silver. So, um, yeah, it's cool. It's they're sort of tucked away. Uh, I hadn't brought him out for a while until my son wanted to see him. He's four now, so when Paralympics uh, and Olympics were happening, he made me bust him out, and we were wearing him around the house a little bit. He was pretty cute wearing. He definitely wanted to wear the gold medal instead of the silver or bronze. <laughs> the kid has taste, doesn't he? <laughs> as as exquisite as exquisite taste. Exactly. And, you know when you when you look at just that that experience right there and able able to share that share that with your son and he's able to see your your medals and things like that you know that that it really has to uh, you know warm your heart and you know just those experience what what type of advice Seth do you have for those who are pursuing uh, adaptive adaptive sports and and they aspire to be a part of the uh, the national team they want to be a part of the Paralympics. What kind of advice do you have for once? I mean, you know, biggest advice I have for people who are starting out is work harder than you think you need to work. Like it's so much of adaptive sports is, you know, there's there's a talent component to it, but the the people that make it to those high levels are the ones who are willing to work, who are willing to work when nobody else is watching, who do all the little things actually, you know, focus on things like nutrition and whatnot. And, you know, coaches see that kind of stuff. If you have an opportunity to be in front of people who are the decision makers, you know, like for rugby, when we'd go to camps, like, and you've got young guys around, like you can see who has an understanding of the game and, you know, people are coachable, but you can't really coach hard work. Um, and, coaches recognize that and they see that so they're they're willing to take a chance on hard workers who might not you know have experience or all the skills yet but they know they can coach them and they know they're going to get consistent effort out of them so that's that's always my biggest advice for young athletes is be willing to put in the work and lastly seth did you bring your harmonica with you, you want to hear want to hear some of your oh you should have let me know i did not bring the harmonica with me <laughs> well next time Next okay. time we'll we'll definitely do that because you know I heard you pretty you know you pretty do some pretty mean stuff on that harmonica man so I have fun with it I haven't played it for a while I've been busting it out a little bit with my son he likes to play drums with me while I'm playing some harmonica but I love it now you are part of the United Spinal Association family out there and you mind sharing what you what you do at the United Spinal Association yeah so I'm an editor for New Mobility Magazine which is the membership magazine is united spinal so we've got a great team over there um i believe you've talked with ian for the show already but um yeah lifestyle magazine for active wheelchair users so we're really just trying to tell stories from our community um you know help help share people's stories help give people advice on how to live and thrive as a wheelchair user Awesome. You uh you and Brooke and Ian both all live in all live in the, the Portland, Oregon area. You guys make me want to move out there. I mean, what 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 about what about Portland? Am I missing living in California? What what am I missing out there, uh Seth? Well, you're missing some rain. We do get some rain in Portland, but it makes it beautiful and green. We've got uh beautiful mountains, easy access to outdoor recreation. 
Um, it's just, it's a cool city. Um, it's got a ton of really good food, arts, just things happening. I actually moved um, about an hour east of Portland now, which is in a in the Columbia River Gorge area of Oregon, Washington. It's beautiful, but, um, you know, we just got a lot of pretty relaxed people who like to have fun. Awesome. Well, well, Seth, before I let you go, anything else out there you'd like to uh, tell the audience uh, out there before we before I let you go and let you get back to, to chilling today? Uh, I got not much else. Just thanks for watching. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been fun talking with you. Hey, same here, my friend. And uh, when we have you back on again, you make sure you break out that harmonica. I think I want to have you do some old school hip hop on the harmonica. Can you do that for a brother? All right. And you bring the beat. I'll try and keep up with it. <laughs> Let's do it. Wow. That was awesome. Talking to Seth McBride, hearing about his journey, what it took to be a Paralympic athlete. And did you, did you listen closely? Maybe this is something that you would like to do. And Seth gave a lot of jewels of information on really what it takes, uh, you know, to make it to that level. I really enjoyed him opening up about his, his injury and what he's doing now for United Spinal Association. Just an amazing person, Seth. Thank you so much. And you, don't forget to go to our website, unitedspinal.org. You can find out how you can attend our 75th anniversary. Can you imagine 75 years United Spinal Association? has been around and in existence. That is so awesome. You can find out about this amazing event. You can take action and partner with us. And don't forget that corporate challenge, how we can build an inclusive world together and how you can partner with us and contact us with any questions. If you'd like to support us, it shows ways you can give and help us out. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning into the show. And in closing, I want to give a huge shout out to Deanna Fike. Deanna created these awesome, amazing thumbnails for the show. She did a fantastic job. Deanna, thank you so much. And my man, Tom Scott, Tom, thank you so much again for giving me this opportunity uh, to be the host of United on Wheels. Really appreciate it. Looking for many more interviews um, and bringing awareness to our great community and our great organization. Thank you so much. And you. Uh, the listeners, the viewers who are watching this program, we thank you because it's about you and not about us. And remember, stay well, stay safe, and I love you guys' life. Take care.